Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts and minds to receive from your word today. Teach us, inspire us, give us wisdom, and help us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. The man I'm going to introduce you to is George Clemenceau. He was the Prime Minister of France twice, two different times, in the first quarter of the 1900s. And one day, he bought a train ticket for a duel. Uh, Not with guns, he dueled with uh, swords. Bought a train ticket, and the attendant selling him the train ticket allegedly asked him, or said to him, it's very pessimistic that you are buying a one-way ticket to a duel. And his response was, not at all. I will use my opponent's ticket to come home. And, And he had a right to be confident because apparently he had more than a dozen different duels with political opponents. And the fact that he had over a dozen means he won a lot. Um, He had confidence. And this morning, our primary topic is confidence. And the question that we have this morning is, what makes you confident? Or what makes you not confident? Paul wants to make a statement. Actually, he does. He makes this statement about himself and what he wants to be true of all believers. Here's the first half of it. Paul would say, I put no confidence in the flesh. Open up your Bible, if you would. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It is on page 1673 in the Pew Bible. 1673. Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. Uh, One of the things about this book is it is a book about joy. Uh, Paul mentions numerous times to rejoice, to be joyful. Um, And ironically, he's writing it from prison. But he's telling them, rejoice. And so he mentions again, rejoice in the Lord. I say it to you again, and there's a safeguard. I'm trying to guard you from something. And then there's a huge change in tone. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, He does not mince words. Um, He he really does not like these people that he's talking about. Watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. Paul is talking about a group of people who came to Galatia. Um, Sometimes they're called Judaizers. Um, They are what look like Jewish Christians who are saying to Gentiles, you must believe in Jesus and there's a number of other things you have to do also. 
You have to do Jewish things. And Paul has no place for them. And you can hear it in his language. Dogs is a word that is often used to describe Gentiles. In the first century, dogs were not these sweet little kind pets. Um, Dogs were like scavengers who ate refuse. To call somebody a dog was a huge insult. Evildoers is an ironic twist on a word because you know what they were telling people they had to do? Good works. Paul says, you are the evil workers. And then mutilators of the flesh reference to circumcision. He does not like these people. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. The word confidence in Greek means the same thing as it does in English. To depend on or trust in something enough to actually move forward, to achieve, to do something. He says, we don't put confidence in the flesh. And then he makes this statement, which is really important for Paul's argument. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And he's about to describe his reasons and also help us understand what he means by flesh. That term can have multiple meanings in Paul's writings. But in this case, he's about to describe it. Here is what Paul could have had confidence in. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's what's supposed to happen, that's the religious practice, um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I know exactly what my lineage is. I am pure Jew. I know what tribe it is. I've got the qualifications. A Hebrew of Hebrews. If you call someone a Hebrew, I stand as the epitome of that. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. That's as high as you can get. The Pharisees were trying to obey every single part of the law. For zeal, I persecuted the church. He was so zealous for God that he got permission to leave Jerusalem and follow Christians to another city to drag them back. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, I know what I'm talking about. What I'm telling you right now, I am an insider in this. I actually had these qualifications. So I'm not talking from somebody on the outside looking in. A number of years ago, I went to a wedding. I was not performing the wedding. Somebody else was. I was just going to the wedding. And while I was there, I was able to meet the gentleman who was doing the wedding. He was not a pastor, not a priest, or anything like that. Um, he worked in telecommunications, and he had gone online, and he had gotten the necessary certificate so that he could perform the ceremony. But when we were sitting around dinner before the, the day before the wedding, we're sitting around the dinner talking, and he is asking all of these questions about, what do I do? What happens here? What happens there? Um, I don't understand where this... And he's just, you can tell the whole ceremony was a bit confusing for him. And we get to talking, and I had asked him, hey, what do you do? And that's when I learned. He's like, hey, I'm in telecommunications. And then he said, and what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he went, oh, um, do you know how to do ceremonies? <laughs> Like, I do actually. I can help you work through this because I'm an insider. Like, I have done numerous weddings 
I studied it. I know how to do this. So if I tell you how to do a wedding, it's because I've done it. That's what Paul is doing here. I have done all of these things. To put confidence in the flesh means to trust in my various religious, ethnic qualifications. The things that people would go, wow, so you are this. You do this. That's what they wanted all Gentiles to do. And Paul says, I don't put my confidence in those things. And he's going to give a reason later on, but I want to give you one that just goes throughout the scriptures. Here is one of the biggest issues with putting confidence in those qualifications. It will take you one of two ways. Either toward the Pharisees or towards Peter's experience of failure. So here's what happens. You start putting these qualifications in place and you rely on them. As long as I do these things, as long as I do these works, as long as I don't do these things, and it leads to one of two things. An attitude of a Pharisee where you begin to go, I do these things, these people don't. You start to judge other people. Or, in Peter's case, how many of you have ever failed at serving God? Anyone? If you fail enough or big enough, do you ever start feeling totally worthless? Like I have nothing to offer, God can't use me anymore. It goes the other way. That's what Peter felt. Peter's like, I'm done with this. And he goes back to fishing. Because he failed so badly that can God really use me anymore? That is the problem with making the qualifications on us. It leads in those directions. And Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. For an image, this sort of reminds me of, um, as I get a little bit older, I've started losing my balance a little more often. My coordination is not nearly as good as it used to be. I drop things that I didn't used to drop. Like I'll just be in the kitchen, I'll be holding something, and it just falls to the ground. And I think, my goodness, what is going on with me? I was not like this when I was younger, except when I was really young, I was. It's like I'm reverting. <laughs> um, every one of my kids, we would take them to a playground, and they would have the little things that were only maybe a foot off the ground, but they were little balance beams to walk on. And every kid wanted to do it. And every one of my kids, you know what they did? They fell off. When they were really young, they, could, they would fall off to this side or they'd fall off to this side. Unless what? You hold their hand and you help them balance. And that's what this happens. Paul says, if you put this on you, you're going to fall off one side or the other. You're either going to judge yourself or you're going to judge others. And so I do not put confidence in the flesh. Instead, here's what Paul says. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage." couple of things in what he does. I put no confidence in the flesh. I put confidence in Christ. But I consider my former gains 
to be a loss. Okay, so picture your columns. Here's my gain, here's my loss. Paul says, in my gain column used to be these things. I now move them over to my loss column. Because when I compare them to Christ, there is no comparison. The surpassing worth of him, why would I even want those in that column? But the two things I want you to see is this. Number one, his former gains were not necessarily bad things. They actually were gains. There's nothing wrong with good works. There's nothing wrong with having the covenants. There's nothing wrong with being the lineage of of Benjamin. I mean, those are good things. But they're not to be relied on for my relationship to God. They're not to be relied on to make me religious. That's where the problem comes. And one of the reasons is the surpassing worth of Christ. All right. Anyone know what this is? It is an IBM PC Junior. This is what I got for for Christmas in 1984. (laughs) Not that one in particular, but it looked like that. An IBM PC Junior. Let me show you a few things things about it. Go to the next slide. It has 128K RAM a 4.77 megahertz CPU, a five and a quarter inch floppy drive that you have to use to start the computer. You have to stick the floppy drive, it's about this big, it's real thin, you have to stick it in there and boot the computer off of that floppy drive, not off of a hard drive. Um, It has internal dial-up for, you know, internet. Um, How many of you on this side of the room in the back have ever used dial-up? Yeah, nobody under 30. (laughs) Um, Video of 320 by 200 with 16 colors. Um, There were 150 at the time self-booting games. That means you put the game in, and it didn't boot off the normal system. It just booted the game up. And if you wanted to use the computer, you had to then stop the game, pull it out, and put your floppy back in and boot the drive again. it cost $1,269 and made of, entirely of plastic. <laughs> now, let me compare it to something. Go to the next one. This is the iPhone 15. It has six gigs of RAM, not kilobytes, gigabytes. It has a six-core CPU. Two of them are 3.46 gigahertz. Four of them are 2.02 gigahertz. It has a terabyte of storage on it. The IBM PC Junior had no storage. You had to use floppy drives to store things. It has cellular and Wi-Fi. You can't even compare the video. It's just not even... um, It has millions of games, none of them self-booting that require you to, like, put the game in the phone and then take it out and restart the phone. And It cost $1,000, and it's made of titanium. Now, one more screen, just so you get an idea of the comparison. 128K is equal to 6,291,456K on the iPhone. Let me ask you, which one do you want to use? Anyone want the IBM PC Junior? (laughs) Because of the surpassing worth of the iPhone 15, 
you just would never. Why would you go back to the other thing? That is what Paul is trying to get across. At the time, the IBM PC Jr. was not bad. I enjoyed it when I was young. I played some games on it. I wrote some code on it. I even made a little rocket ship that would, like, go up in the air. It was cheesy as all get out, but, but it worked. Um, but I would never go back to that if I could have the iPhone 15. Does that make sense? All right. Last thing Paul says about all of this. Go back into the text. He says, I consider them garbage. It's an extremely strong word. It is probably one of two curse words in the scriptures. Um, If you were translating this as much as possible toward the Greek, it would be a very different word in English than garbage. Um, That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, and that should be the faithfulness of Christ. The reason that righteousness is available to us is because of his faithfulness to God the Father, his faithful life. Now, our faith is still important, as Paul will say here. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, and then he restates it, I want to know Christ. That's his longing. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul wants. He wants eternal life. He wants to come to the point of resurrection and be raised to life, to live eternally with the Father. And he knows that only comes through the faithfulness of Christ. Israel tried over and over and over again to be perfect. Do you know what their success rate was? Zero. Have any of you ever tried to be perfect? I mean, I have. Have you ever succeeded? No. We cannot be perfect. He was. And Paul says, I don't put confidence in what I can accomplish. I put confidence in what he already accomplished. That's what I'm striving for. I want to know him. And here's the thing. Here's how Paul knows Christ. This is not some like mysterious, weird, spiritual thing. There are two ways that he knows Christ. And we can know him the exact same way. Number one, he trusts in him. He says, Jesus I'm trusting in you for my relationship to God. I am trusting in you for my eternity. I'm trusting in you for all my sins. And then number two, he says, I want to be like him, even participating in his suffering. Here's how he knows Christ. He lives a life that was like Christ. See, this isn't, This isn't Paul sitting down and going, okay, I'm going to pretend Jesus is right here, and I'm going to pray and pray and pray, and I'm just going to listen until Jesus and I can start having a conversation. Now, can that happen? Sure. But that's not what Paul has envisioned when it comes to knowing Christ. It is not this mystical, intangible, weird kind of thing. Paul says, the way I know him 
is by being like him. If you copy somebody, if you become the mentee of a mentor, how do you get to know the mentor? By doing the things the mentor is doing. Paul says, I'm going to participate in the life of Jesus. I'm going to make decisions like him. I'm going to suffer like him. I'm going to do, because then I will know him. That's knowing Christ. That I might ultimately know resurrection. So, let me summarize. Paul says, I do not put confidence in the flesh. And I know everybody in this room, at one point or another, we try to put confidence in the flesh. We try to put confidence in various qualifications, whether it is my religious practices or lack of them, whether it is my intellect or my successful career or whatever it is that I feel like, oh, God is blessing me, and, or we go the opposite direction and we feel terrible about ourselves because we feel like failures. But both things are putting confidence in the flesh. Paul says, I don't do that. I put all of my confidence in Christ. In fact, I've given up everything and said, I want to trust him. And it's what, let, it's, what let, it's what lets Paul say these words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He can say that because he puts everything into Christ. He's trusting Christ for all things. He doesn't say this. I can be victorious and gain anything I want over all obstacles through Christ. I mean, Paul, as we know, because I've read it to you, Paul has had some serious issues through his life. But he says, I will come through anything because I trust Christ. Can we do that? If you do, you can have confidence in every circumstance because he is with you. That's where Paul's at. Even to a point like this, and I will end here. February of this year, there was a cruise boat in the Bahamas pulling toward the shore, and they saw off the side of the ship a 12-foot hammerhead shark somewhat near the shore. And they called people over to look at this. And they have video of the shark. But there was a dog that would, it was a stray dog. It would come to the shore all the time and run up and down it as boats would come. And this dog got to the edge, saw the shark, not only started barking at the shark, went into the water after this 12-foot shark, just paddling, paddling. People are yelling off the boat, get the dog out. I mean, they're like freaked out. The shark eventually took off. <laughs> the dog gets out of the water, you know, shakes off. And what in the world inspired the confidence in a dog to take on a hammerhead shark? <laughs> I mean, you could see this dog and it's nowhere near the size of the shark. But that dog, I could do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Don't think that's what the dog was thinking. But I think that is how Paul felt. Bring a hammerhead shark into my life. I, I put all my trust in Christ.
there isn't anything I can't do. And I know what my future is. There's nothing you can do to me here that is going to change that. And so he lived life with confidence because of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to get down on ourselves. It is so easy at times to judge other people. And so much of that is because we are trying to do it all in the flesh, in our own strength. And we are forgetting that Christ has already done everything necessary. We're forgetting that you love the world so you gave your son that we have immense, unchangeable value because you have said it is so. Lord, help us, like Paul, to put all of our confidence in Christ, that we might live lives that honor you, that move forward, and that know joy that Paul talks about throughout Philippians. In Jesus' name, amen.